All right, everybody under the age of 18, come on. I don't do this very often. Don't make me lonely. <laughs> Mateo. How are you, buddy? Good to see you. Anybody else? All right. This is a long story, but I'll talk to you about it in just a minute, okay? The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, the sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you are going back? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you asked. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, 
she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. The Gospel of the Lord. All right, come here a minute. You're all so far away from me. Am I scary? All right, I'm going to come to you. (laughs) Mateo, let me ask you a question. Have you ever wanted something really, really bad, and you prayed for it, and it didn't come when you thought it was supposed to be there? Hmm? I have. Lots of times. Because I think I know what's best, and I want to tell God how how to best take care of me. But there have been times... When I didn't get what I prayed for, but what I got a little bit later was even better than what I prayed for. It's like praying for a Christmas present. You really want this certain present, and you don't get it. You're disappointed. You open the package that you're just sure this is what you were wanting, and you're disappointed. It's not what you, but you try to be nice because that's the way you're supposed to be kind to say to people, thank you for the gift. And then, when you didn't expect it, you got something even better than what you had been wanting and praying for. That's what happened in this story. Martha and Mary knew that their brother Lazarus that they loved was very sick and wanted Jesus to come and heal him. And Jesus didn't come when they wanted him to come. But when he did come, after Lazarus had died... Jesus gave to Mary and Martha their brother back, but taught them a very valuable lesson. Sometimes in our waiting and being disappointed that we don't get what we think we want when we want it, God teaches us something even more important. So I hope that you'll go as you go this morning and think about, I can trust a God who loves me, even with what when I think that I have what God needs to give me, I can trust him with the real answers. So go and have fun. We'll see you again in just a few minutes.
morning. Let's pray. We thank you, God, for um, your life and your love. We thank you for um, the miracles that are ever before us and available to us. We ask that you open our hearts and minds to your word this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So there are times in life when my faith falters, perhaps when your faith falters, and we wonder if God hears our prayers. We might even doubt that God even cares about our struggles. You may be in this state of mind or spiritual state right now, waiting, trying to listen to God, or to find hope, but feeling unheard, and sometimes even feeling unloved by God. We get a resurrection story in the middle of Lent. (laughs) It's kind of an odd timing thing, but I want to talk about the importance of this story of Lazarus and why why it's important to us during this season of Lent because it speaks to that sense of wanting something to happen like Father Michael just said to the kids and not seeing it come to fruition and wondering if, if God, if Jesus even cares. If God had only shown up. If God had only heard my prayers and did what I wanted him to do. Psalm 130, which we read first, is a beautiful psalm. And, and the, text, the context of that psalm is is that the people of Israel were dispersed. They weren't in Jerusalem. They were in different countries ruled by um, pagan people, Babylon and others, and they didn't have a common place within which to worship. They didn't have Jerusalem anymore. And they were bereft. They felt that God had deserted them, and they felt like they would never again be a community, be the chosen people, be the ones who's, uh, on whom God's favor rested. And so the psalmist is crying out to God and, and is, is saying, you know, we're feeling terrible. Out of the depths I cry to you. Hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry. Have you ever uttered a prayer like that? Come on, God, listen up. Are you there? And then as the psalmist goes on, he concludes that it's worth waiting for God, that God will provide the necessary hope, and that ultimately... God's mercy and redemption will come. Maybe, as Father Michael said to the kids, not in the timing you want, not in the timing you expect, but God's mercy and redemption will come. So it's a pretty nice setup 
for the story of Lazarus. So Lazarus is the, we presume, the younger brother of Martha and Mary. Um, the fact that he's ill or sick, that word from the Greek often can translate as disabled. So Lazarus may have been profoundly disabled, or he may have had some kind of disease that caused him to be disabled. And so he was very, very sick. And Martha and Mary send a message to get Jesus there quick. But Jesus doesn't show up. He, just, he hears, and he says he's not going to die, he's just asleep, and we're going to stay here for a few more days. <laughs> and Martha and Mary are going, what the heck? Where is he? And of course, when he arrives, Martha goes out to him and says, Lord, if you'd just been here, he would have lived. If you'd just done what I'd asked and shown up, my brother wouldn't have died. And then Mary comes out and says basically the same thing. Where the heck were you? We needed you. You could have come and you didn't. And Jesus' response to them was basically, he's going to live. He's alive. And Martha, in her great faith, said, yes, I know he'll, he'll, um, he'll rise at the resurrection and he will live, but we want him now kind of thing. You know, I want my brother now. And Jesus said, no, 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 he's, he's going to live. And so they had to somehow have faith that Jesus was going to fulfill their desire, was going to help their hopes be realized. And you see, Lazarus wasn't just mostly dead. He, Princess Bride, mostly dead? He had been in the tomb for four days. It stunk. His body stunk because it was decomposing. He was really dead. Dead, dead. And, and so this resurrection story is really miraculous. And there are a lot of things you can say about it. It, it prefigures Christ's own rising. There's lots of things about it. But I don't want to go into that. I want to stick with the topic of what happens when we lose hope. What happens when we don't think God's answering us? What happens when we think God has deserted us? And sometimes we go so far to think that God doesn't love or care about the situation we find ourselves in. I got my son's permission to tell part of his story, which obviously, as his mom, is part of my story. Late in high school, Mike partied a lot. He liked alcohol, and, um, and we chalked it up to being a goofy, stupid high school boy that wanted to party and not that he didn't have a problem. And as the years progressed into his 20s, he very clearly had a problem. He was an alcoholic. We arranged for him to go to treatment, not once, not twice, not three times, but four times over the course of a little more than a decade. 
and um, Mike kind of laid off on the alcohol, but he got addicted to meth. And he um, did what he felt like doing. He went his own way, very much like the prodigal son. The prodigal son story really resonates in our family with Mike, including the older brother who happens to be a sister in this case. But we, um, Dave and I despaired of our son. We, we'd hear sirens at night. If you've ever had somebody addicted and that's not at home, you know what that feels like. We'd hear sirens and we'd wonder if Mike had been killed in a car accident or worse yet, killed somebody else. It was very difficult in our household because the drug-addicted young man that um, was living under our roof was not our son. <laughs> he was a different person. And lots of drama happened and lots of difficult um, conversations and attempts by us to get him to see that he needed to get sober and him fighting that. If any of you have ever dealt with addiction, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So finally, um, Mike's dad died last year in, in uh, January. And um, the day that Dave died, we were all in the hospital room with him a lot of our dear friends, uh, Father Michael and Cindy were there. My friend, our friend Rob was there. Just family and friends were in the room all day. Dave was on a respirator. We were waiting for our daughter Gretchen to arrive from Seattle. And, um, and Mike and Haley, Haley's his girlfriend and their daughter Vivian were there most of the day. So we were with Dave the whole day and, and, you know, got the word that this was not a recoverable stroke, et cetera, et cetera. Well, after Gretchen arrived, Gretchen's my daughter, arrived from Washington, and we had spent some time in the room collectively with Dave. Um, it was getting close to being time to remove the respirator from him, and I told or asked both children, both adult children, Gretchen and Mike, if they would like to go in the room and spend some time alone with their dad. Um, I had done that with my grandparents and my parents, and I know how important that is. So, so they both agreed that they wanted to do that. So at one point, Mike went in and was alone with his dad, and Gretchen did the same thing. Well, a month later, Mike went into treatment. And it was a three-month program. And for the first time... First couple weeks were rocky, but for the first time, this being his fourth treatment, um, he actually was engaged in the program. He was all in. He was doing everything he was asked to do. He was putting his heart into the meetings, doing everything he could to, to try to, um, to live a sober life. On February 1st of this year, we celebrated Mike's first year of sobriety. And I'd call him a week or two ahead of time and said, I'd really like to go to your first birthday meeting with you. 
Is there one that I can go to? Um, knowing that most of the meetings he goes to are closed meetings, which means guests can't come. So he found an open meeting on his birthday, his anniversary of sobriety, and we went. And the, how many of you have been to an AA or an NA meeting? A few, okay. Basically, a lot of stuff happens in the beginning, and they, they talk about the program, and they share a lot of stuff. And then towards the end of the meeting, they celebrate um, weeks, months, years of sobriety. And so this particular meeting consisted mostly of young people, mostly men, but there were women there too, who had just entered into a program and are, were less than 30 days sober. So they gave out the 28-day marble to anybody that had 28 days sober, and a few people came up and got their marble. And then they gave out a three-month chip, and a couple people came up, and a six-month chip, and one person came up, and then the one-year chip, which was Mike, and three people came up, and they take turns sharing what their journey has been for that year. And, and so Mike was the second one that shared, and he was really, really eloquent, and, which surprised me because he used to hate speaking in front of people. And he told the story, and at one point he said, and my mom has left, let me back into her life, and she's here supporting me tonight. Which, you know, that was pretty cool, even though every head turned and looked at me. <laughs> and then when we, and he told a story, and he basically said, one of the things he said was, all I wanted to do was surf and have fun. And he said, and then my girlfriend got pregnant. And then my dad died. And it wasn't fun anymore. So he continued to tell a story. Well, we got in the car to go home, and, and um, I asked Michael as we were driving home, I said, you know, I kind of wondered whether your ability to stick to your sobriety plan had something to do with dad's death. Um, whether that was the thing that made you decide. And he said, it wasn't his death, Mom. It was the day he died. And I said, well, tell me about that. And he said, when I got to go into Dad's room alone, I made the decision that I wanted to be a good dad. What felt like completely hopeless situation. Over 15 years of praying for this kid and fearing that he would end up dead or without functional, functional ability. There's a phoenix rising from the ashes. A lot of times it felt like God wasn't listening. A lot of times it felt like our prayers were not being heard. But I also knew from experience, I'm old enough now, and I've been walking with God long enough now to know that there are times in our lives that feel just like that, <laughs> that feel just like God isn't hearing, and God isn't paying attention, and God could really give a rip, right? 
And I've lived long enough now and been through enough situations in my life to know somehow that God had this situation. It was agonizing. It was heartrending. It was, it was awful to go through. But there's redemption. There's life. There's hope. And that's the work that our loving Jesus does. Even when we don't see any evidence of forward progress, there's forward progress by the grace of God and by his love. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.